five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Look at you. You know, there's a uh, new uh, thing I just saw on Twitter about... uh, a costume for Halloween 90s kid. And it's basically dressed like your dress, Ben. Sans the hat. Uh, jeans and a hoodie. Really? That's 90s that's, kid. That's yeah, 90s that's, kid? 90, that's 90s kid according to Halloween Central or whoever you know those stores are that pop up in abandoned buildings. Uh, ben B-Baby Byram, dressed as 90s kid today, is uh, on the uh, ones and twos. Hey, Ben. We got Jim Zoki coming up in just a little bit. That ought to be interesting. Zoke on the Panthers. Is he dressed up like 90s kid? Is he doing a little Fred no, Durst? No, I, I, I think Zoke would be more like 80s dork is what I... No, we like <laughs> Zoke. We like Zoke. We like him. Uh, I think um, Dom, intern Dom is here today as well after he decided to bail on us and go home and do nothing. I mean, at least if he went on fall break, he could have done something cool, but... Dom, what'd you do? Just hang out around the house and eat home cooking? Is that kind of what you did? That's basically what I did. I got my mom's home cooking, and I live on the beach, so I did get to go to the beach oh. a few times. Oh, oh, oh. Pardon me, Dom. Pardon me, Dom. Not just I around the re- house the whole time. I did realize you lived on the beach. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Wilmington, too. That's I'm going to nice be nicer to Dom. I'm going to be a little nicer to Dom now, because while, while there's Casa de Johnson at the Working Man's Beach, it is not on the beach. It's a short, short stroll to the beach, but it's not on the beach. In Wilmington, too. That's uh, that's got to be a little Which pricey. beach in Wilmington? What uh, is that, Dom? I'm closest to Wrightsville Beach, but Carolina okay. Beach is not too far. Carolina Beach. Okay. Yeah, you're right, Dom's. Dom's uh, Dom's got a good situation there, his family does. Well, he's taking good care of him. You had a grandfather that made the Pro Bowl or something in the NFL? Yeah, he played in the 60s and 70s on the Minnesota Vikings. So Name? Vikings that's right. Man. Name? Uh, Carl Kosoki. Carl Kosoki. Look at Dom carrying on the Kosolke legacy in football. Uh, Dom, what are you dressing as? Now, Dom is a sophomore at ECU. Dom, what are you going to dress as for Halloween? Well, I am. I'm going as Penny, or not Pennywise, but from the It movie, the per, the person that wears the yellow rain jacket, and my girlfriend is being the clown. So I'm kind of just doing a couple's costume with that one. I got you. So you got to do that couple's costume sometimes. Yeah, it's a little cringy, but got to have fun with it. A little cringy. <laughs> I don't hear you, Ben. What did you say? What happened saying, to your I, mic there? Ben? I, uh, I was saying I can't remember what the kid's name was in it. It's it's right on the tip of my tongue. What? Is, uh, well, uh, irrelevant. Irrelevant. What is your uh, costume this year, Ben? Nineties kid? I haven't even put any thought into it. I don't know if I'm doing anything for Halloween. It's on a Monday night. You know Man, how? Don't I am. be that guy. You got the weekend, Dom. What's the official? Celebration? Are they going to do something over the weekend? Usually, oh. you go downtown on Halloween. It's, a, it's yeah. a full weekend thing. Okay, look at Dom. Are you going to dress the same costume the whole weekend, Dom? Well, it's just a yellow rain jacket, so I think I could pull it off. Okay, all right. I don't know if there's any makeup involved or anything in this. Uh, all right. Well, good, good, good. It's nice of you to be back, Dom. Great job. Uh, so it's always good me. to have you in. No, it's good to have you. You know what? Woodstock 99, that documentary was big. I could be Fred Durst. Easiest costume <laughs> in the world right there. 
So you just you just dress like an a hole. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Kind of like how I normally dress. You know? Yeah, yeah. You could kind of pull that. You know, I like, could see that. They're like, "Hey, what's your costume? This is just you." I was like, "What are you talking about?" This is Fred <laughs> Durst, obviously. Fred Durst. Uh, I saw a Blink One Eighty Two is back out on the road now, and I'm excited about that. God, <laughs> they were awful then, and I can only imagine they're awful now. Oh wow. Just, okay. Yeah, not a fan. You can bet us out with some blink if you want out of this segment. Absolutely. I mean, I got to you got you got to show a little respect. <sighs> Tom DeLonge's back. He was yeah, chasing UFOs and now he's back doing what he <laughs> loves. Yes, he was I don't know. I think he loves a UFO thing. I think that's truly what he loves. Yeah. I think he just he needs, he needs now to money. fund yeah. that he needs to fund that hobby and uh, there's only one way to do that and that's go out on the road with Blink 182 for the upcoming. I also saw where like that Grateful Dead uh, holdover group. I was talking to Mull about that. You know, I just sent him a. That's one t- thing I don't understand is the Grateful. Oh Dead no, that's dirty, here. smelly hippies, and I, I love Mull, but I could just I can't get down with that jam band, uh, smelly hippie stuff. But I think Mull, we know where he'll, he we know where he will be in late May, early June. He'll be in Charlotte and Raleigh watching the Dead on this last. Is he tour. traveling with them? Is he a deadhead like uh, Bill Walton? <sighs> You know, I think he's been to his share of dead concerts. I don't think he traveled with him per se. He's more of a, um, who is it? Um, fish. No. Yeah. Fish. But there's the other one widespread where the guy panic. schools is the bait. Yeah. Widespread. He's more of a widespread yeah. guy. Yeah. I've talked to the guys at widespread a few times. They're good guys. They're like, they're like, they're really cool guys, but just, just ain't my jam baby. But you know, whatever. They're, they're nice folks. Uh, all right, they're so no today they're no limp they're no Fred Durst, exactly. They ain't out there breaking stuff. Thank God. Um, we've got, uh, as we mentioned, the great uh, and uh, talented uh, Jim Zoki on the line with us uh, coming up in just a little bit, a little later on in the show. Uh, we'll do a pirate report. Uh, I do want to start with some comments from uh, our guy Harold Varner the Third, and you know this is kind of. Ben, how would you characterize the media on this? Because it was put out there by, I think, Golf Digest is where we originally saw the tweet. It was yeah. happening kind of yesterday while we were on the air. And uh, Harold says a couple of really interesting things here in a in a press scrum. They had three guys up there. It was Harold and who else? Uh, what's, what's the guy's name? It was Graham... Uh, is there a Graham on? I know his name was Graham, but I don't know what his if that was his first or last name. But he was some Brit. Okay. Well, that, Dustin that's, Johnson, Harold Vaughn the Third, and some guy named Graham. That Graham, that's from the UK. Dustin Johnson was up there. Okay, I'm just looking. You sent it to me. It's uh, Graham, it's, but like GR. Graham McDowell. Yeah, there Graham you go. McDowell. Yeah, Graham McDowell. And you know, I'm uh, still an amateur learning the learning the ropes when it comes to golf. So. But Graham McDowell with um, with uh, DJ and HV3. Now, DJ, I, I think DJ could say some things that are captivating, but he, he chooses not to. He was boring in this yeah. deal, yeah. H3 but Harold was, Harold was really insightful here. And I don't know the question because I just heard the answer. We only got to play it once on the morning show, but essentially he kind of says – when he's talking about that transition from the PGA to live, he kind of takes a little bit of a, I don't even think it's a shot. I think it's just some veiled insight into 
how the PGA Tour and maybe certain people on the PGA Tour have treated he and others that have gone to live? Yeah, I, I thought about it a lot. I got into the Masters and I got in every other major. Um, played well once I won. Uh, obviously, things went a little crazy when we got back to the States. Um, so, you know, just new adversity in my life. You know, it's pretty weird to win and be hated. So it's pretty funny. Now, if he's referring to the Saudi thing, I don't think he was hated for winning in Saudi Arabia. I think he was selling, even, even though Liv was a thing then and, and his attachment to Liv had not been widespread reported or even rumored widespread at that point, Harold was still kind of celebrated over the, uh, the Liv or over the victory in Saudi Arabia, because again, that wasn't a live event. That was a Saudi event because it was on the Asian tour and everybody was celebrating that Harold won. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of that was because at the time live wasn't heating up like it is now. And they thought maybe no, it was a it was one-off, still, but no, it was a little bit of a thing. Either I way, mean, I, I still maintain that the PJ was ready to make Harold Vaughn the third, like a star, a face. It was just a matter of him getting the win. So well, yeah, I mean, I mean he had to win. To do with it. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the most marketable guy on the tour outside but of look, a few big names like Tiger Woods. But Harold made, and this is not the sneeze at, Harold might made him, what, a couple million this year? Yeah. Again, nothing to sneeze at. He's already made a million bucks in two weeks in, in addition to what they paid him guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, Harold said he understood the risk of joining the LIV tour. For me, I, uh, I think we knew what we were getting into. I think... Um, I think it's easy to sit here and say what could happen, what should happen. But, you know, obviously, you know, for me, I, I knew what was going to happen. You know, like it wasn't going to be easy. And I think the people that live have done an unbelievable job of just trying to, because I don't know the check marks. I could, you know, honestly, I could care less. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew what could happen in my career. And, you know, I accept that, you know, and it's I've had a great time out here. So, like, the world ranking thing is, you know, it's just been a part of golf for so long. And now all of a sudden – you know, some feathers have been ruffled, so it's like kind of just awkward. It's funny, though, I think, but it is what it is. He's not wrong. And look, you're not going to hear this covered with any thought or objectivity. Now, you might get a little bit of it because it is Harold, and Harold is still so very well liked, and Harold has handled this whole situation very elegantly but and very appropriately, in my opinion. But I think, you know, Harold is just, Harold's like Harold does, is spitting truth right now. Well, yeah, it was strange because watching that press conference, it seemed like the media was ready to be very combative and ask the tough questions yeah. and make it more of a serious deal. And HV3 was, HV3 was so great at kind of toning everything down, making it more well, relaxed. Well, he's disarming. And but yeah, just making sure um, everybody's on the same page and having fun. And, you know, it's not a combative environment or a hostile environment. Immediately, just with his presence alone and just the way he conducts himself, everybody just took a step back and chilled out a little bit and uh, understood, like, you're not going to get that kind of stuff from him. You're not going to get what you're looking for. Speaking of environments, he says the PGA was not a family environment. I like playing golf. These guys are a lot of fun. I think it's really cool how we hang out and do things that we, you know, don't do as much on the PGA Tour. I think it's very big. They call it uh, family. And whenever you leave that family, you become hated. And in a real family, like no matter what your son does or your daughter, she's their family. So you take care of them, and it's just not that way. That's an interesting comment. That's yeah. a really interesting comment because 
I don't know. That's, I mean, he played with these guys on the PGA tour. Now I know he and DJ are, are close. Obviously Harold's close with tiger. I, that's an interesting comment though, from HV three. Well, we really always is. had the impression he was the most well-liked guy on the tour and that it almost kind of gave off the impression. Maybe it was a family like environment before all this stuff went down. So to him kind of well, pull back the curtain and, you know, kind of show it wasn't that way is I think is very interesting. If there was any comment that the media could have took out of context and ran away with, it would have been that one, but they chose the other ones that were easily dismissible and proven to be false. All right. Uh, well, those are the comments from Harold Varner the third. We will go to break and uh, we'll blink 182. We'll do a pirate report when we come back. And then Jim Zoki coming up a little bit later on. We'll talk about uh, all the goings down in Charlotte this week. All the We'd appreciate it if anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. We are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching. 94.3 The Game. And 94.3thegame.com. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. 94.3 The Game. Donnie Kay talked about how the two-lane green wave stopped the Pirates and how the Pirate offense played. Boy, this is a long cut. Jeez Louise. Do a book report on this one. Let's uh, hear what he's got to say, Ben, and then at some point we'll we'll probably move on to the next cut because this is, this is some peak. This might be a record. I, I don't doubt that this is good, but, I mean, we just probably need to get to the meat of the matter a little bit feels two hour show maybe but no we got a lot to get to today we would need a four hour show like they're doing in the memphis pregame show uh to make this work because this is a a long cut long ass cut here we go we they did what we knew they were going to do they do the same thing this year it's you know it's new new defense i guess or change the the way they covered they played a lot more man last year which which we knew that's what they were going to do they just did it well you know what i'm saying i think they did it well I didn't think we played particularly well. You know what I'm saying? We didn't do anything very well. I don't think, I don't think we ate pregame meal very well. You know what I'm saying? It was it was one of those type of trips, I think, to to down there. So, uh, you know, you got to move on with it. But you, I guess you always learn from any situation. I mean, we'll, we'll probably see some of those coverages again because once people do something well, it's a copycat league. I mean, it's just a copycat sport, so everybody will do that. So you always come back Sunday and you correct the mistakes, and then you prepare, okay, what happens if, you know, we see these again, even though the next defense might not have any of those uh, coverages or whatever. But uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's an odd game. You score enough points. That's that's the whole bottom line. You got to score more points. And uh, I thought we started well. You know, I thought uh, moving it to first drive, you know, we had 30 yards, I guess, I think in the first four plays. And we have a second and four, and, you know, the back falls down. They did a particularly good job of stopping Holton Ehlers, Donnie Kay, on that. Two lanes was much more for the quarterback mentally, say, than South Florida. South Florida came out, they have great athletes. You know what I'm saying? They're from the state of Florida. You're going to have some pretty good athletes down there in a big state like that. And and they just got up and said, hey, we'll, we'll play you one-on-one. We'll challenge you. And we proved to be pretty good at that. Uh, so the decision-making is not nearly as tough on the quarterback. You, you're up, it's one-on-one, throwing you the ball. Okay, it's easy. 
they were rolling coverages. They're dropping linemen out. They're doing all the, to confuse the quarterback. You know, a little more like an NFL-type game, a little bit like that. He, he didn't do bad. He started eight for nine. So, obviously, he had them figured out. It, it wasn't a case like that. I think the turnover thing is what bit us. But the, the first turnover in the second half, he's wide open. Coach uh, Kirkpatrick on how he expects Holton to respond after a tough outing down in New Orleans. You know, Holt always responds well to those things. Uh, and I think the history, if you go back, I can't statistically back this up, but I think I'm pretty well correct. Whenever he's had a game where he feels like that he had a couple mistakes that really cost us, and he does this week, he felt really bad about that, he normally comes back really, really focused and plays well. He's surely been that way at practice. We've barked at each other a little bit this week, and I, I don't dislike that. You know what I'm saying? I like a quarterback that will stand up and talk back and say stuff. The ones I've had like that have been the better players. The ones that are going to a shell and bend and look down to the ground, that ain't the kid we won't lead in our team. Cause- All right, uh, more from uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick in uh, today's Pirate Report for QC Kinetics, and this is uh, Kirkpatrick on uh, the offense getting out of rhythm. You know, the thing happened was we got out of white because we, we want to stay balanced. And, you know, we were. I was nine passes and seven uh, runs at one time coming out of the quarter there. And now the end of the half, we threw every time. We were in a two-minute offense, though. So, you, you know, we had a minute 35. You have to do that. Now, we had two timeouts. We could have maybe slipped a run in there somewhere. The end of the game, we threw 21 straight passes. So it got really, really out of whack. They were. They were just keeping everything in front of them. We really there was there was a couple openings though that we were trying to attack in the middle of the field that they were just really really staying back, and that's where we had a couple of busts where the guy didn't run the right route, and then all of a sudden you get hung up and you're scrambling, and uh, we just I didn't do a good enough job of getting that corrected because it actually happened like the last two or three series in a row there, and. You know, they just wouldn't let you throw it over the top because they knew we can just if you can eat the clock up, the game's going to be over here. We were down 15. Coach talked about the uh, information of plays miscommunication. All right, what has this been? I don't, I don't speak whatever was being written here. All right, well, let's listen to it and see what he says. We'll try to we'll all learn together. How about that? Well, during the drive, it's a little tough, you know, to get that word out there. Obviously, you're telling uh, – Coach Boyette and Coach Scott, okay, and Coach Sims, you know, this is what's happening. But you can't have – you can't just be commentating the game during it because you got 40 seconds, you got to get the next play called. So mostly you're saying, and somebody's writing it down for you, you know, get that comment, write that down. When they come to the sideline, then you're getting that information. Holton's getting on the phone. We're giving him that information. We're giving the other coaches. Shank's got his group. They're drawing that up. And we we had those busts. The, for the one series, I don't know, we just we just didn't see it. We didn't see that that's what happened, that he was not running the right route. And I kept saying the basic, which is a route over the middle, I said the basic should have been open. I'm saying I hope the basic should be open. He said, Coach, it's not open. I, I don't think it was open. I was like, there's no way that could could not have been open. And then the next series, and I said, okay, now I'll see what's happening. But we never got back to it then. Time ran out. We didn't, we didn't get it fixed. So that was two crucial drives, though, if you can get some points there. I mean, you probably saw Houston scored, you know, with like four minutes to go, like 20-some points. So we scored 17 points in the fourth quarter last year against Marshall. So, I, I mean, 
I was believing we were going to do it. You know, we just didn't get it done, though. You know, that's interesting because, you know, that is a little bit of insight for all of the armchair quarterbacks. I mean, there's there's a lot of moving parts during the course of this thing, and you it's just some insight into the communication, you know, among the line and, the, you know, the quarterback and the coordinator and all of that. Really kind of interesting insight there. All right, uh, Coach Kirkpatrick on getting Mike Houston's message, the team getting Mike Houston's message. He's pretty good at delivering the mail. Yeah, he's pretty good at that stuff. Yeah, I know. I always follow my last direct order. That's one thing I learned. My, my father was a high school coach for 35 years, Hall of Fame guy. Today, in fact, today would be his 92nd birthday if he wouldn't have passed away last May. And uh, he always said that, you know, the, that, that saying right there about that, always follow your last direct order. So I always try to follow that. So I do my, my last direct order. I think they will too. And then he talked about uh, the players, uh, the youth, and the depth with the injuries. Yeah, you know, the, the injury thing has been a deal where you never know till game time who's going to be able to play. And we do have some good young talent, like Brock Spalding needs to, needs to play. He, he really does. We, we would like to redshirt him. I think he would really benefit from that. That's probably what would be best for him. But it's a team game, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. He's played two games in special teams. But he's had a great week of practice. Some of the guys have been really sore and kind of banged up, so we've, we've worked him a little harder, and he's, and he's really had a good week. So just last night in all the coaches' meetings after practice, and then this morning, you know, I said to the offensive staff, we probably should play broad. You know, he's just, you know, he's just doing too well. And, and sometimes you just got to say, you, you got you to gotta let them go. You got the mama birds got to let them go. And you hope they can fly. You know, they may come out of that nest and they may, they may crash. You know, whatever. I guess you're a bad mom if you do that or a bad mama bird. But it's time to let some of those go and we just got to let them play. I mean, it's not like we've won every game anyhow. So, you know, what, what do we got to lose? You know, so but but those are hard decisions to make because those older guys, those guys that have had success, you just want them in there because you just keep believing they're going to they're getting ready to make that play. All right, some for Blake Harrell here. Uh, his thoughts on Memphis QB Seth Hennigan. Yeah, he's a really good football player. Takes care of the football. Uh, he was a freshman last year. Thought you know probably one of the better freshmen in the country as far as quarterback wise. And the last drive of the game, he let him down the field and. And, and uh, got a field goal out of it and tied the score up. And, you know, everybody thinks about him throwing the ball through the air because they're putting up a lot of passing numbers. But he's also has the ability to get you out of a jam and a scramble game. Um, you know, just somehow gets out of there and breaks loose and gets the field. I think he had a couple scrambles late in our game last year that, that got him down the field and moved the ball for him. So we got to account for him, you know, not only his arm strength and, and just uh, there, but also scramble. And I think he's, you know, I told our guys he's comparable to uh, Holton pre-snap as far as getting get him in the right play, getting a lot of checks, seeing the RPO out wide, doing some things like that, and just his pre-snap mannerisms uh, as far as how this it goes about his snap count. So, um, you know, good player. I, I think this league's full of a lot of good quarterbacks, and he's one of them. Uh, more from Coach Harrell, and uh, he is uh, discussing about the importance of the Pirates needing to get off the field on third down and get the uh, offense the ball back. Yeah, we, we, we got to do a better job. You know, a year ago, I think uh, third and long, we were 24 out of 25 success rate. And uh, last couple of weeks, this seemed to be Achilles heel for us. So we got, you know, we've, we've locked in in practice, kind of put more situations out there like that for us, uh, making sure we got the right calls in and, and make sure we're not throwing a call out there that we've had 
um, only practice one time. So we got to do a better job of that. And, and then just urgency, you know, knowing the sticks, knowing where the chains are at, and urgency to get off the field. Because we'll get off the field last week on third and nine. Um, I think, you know, back there we have them back on 10-yard line, something like that. Uh, if we get off the field right there, we get the ball back to our offense. They probably get it inside the 50. Uh, the percentages that we always talk to go up there, scoring pretty high. And uh, otherwise, we let them keep it alive, and then they get down the field and get a touchdown out of it. So it's 93 yards right there. More from Blake Harrell here. He uh, discussed the Memphis rushing attack. That's probably our number one priority is stop the run and make them one-dimensional. I think any time an offense can keep you off balance and they can stay on schedule and stay on balance and they can be in second and six, second and five and keep you guessing, it keeps you on your heels. So we always want to be attacking, stopping the run. And we did that last week and we were able to put them in second and long, you know, create some tackles for loss, third, you know, second and 11 and long, th- long third down situations. So I think that helps us just knowing the pass is coming. And uh, again, he elaborates a little more specifically here. Let's do 19, Ben, on the uh, Memphis rushing attack specifically. The other one was the importance of stopping the uh, run first. Uh, but now he gets more specific into the Tigers here. The leading rusher happens to be Hennigan if you take you know take his yards gained and not away his sacks. Um, so you got to be responsible for him. And, and I think they're all different. You know, 22 is the bigger back. He's kind of the main guy, has the most carries, and he's going to be downhill on you. Um, they're all experienced. You know, eight's a little bit smaller. They might get him out on the little screen game, uh, flare passes. Uh, Sutton, the kid I know out of Georgia, I think he's only played like 10 or 12 snaps, but he's in the game. You know, he's getting out in the pass game right there. So, you know, they all got different types of, of things they do well. Um, but at the end of the day, we just got to know who's in the game, what it might be, what the situation might present there, and then do a good job tackling those guys up. All right, yesterday was ECU, uh, or rather uh, AAC Basketball Media Day. Uh, Kim McNeil, women's basketball head coach, uh, was part of that, as was uh, Mike Swartz. We didn't get to the uh, Coach McNeil stuff from yesterday, but uh, this is uh, her talking about her new recruits and uh, what they bring to the Pirates defensively. You know, we've had some really good practices. You know, you mentioned we do have six new players, but when we recruit, we look for those gritty kids that want to come in and play defense. So I feel like they fit in. You know, they're bringing the energy every day, and they're trying to get after it and and do what we do, and that's defend and play hard. Coach talked about the uh, four-star recruit out of Farmville Central, Amaya Joyner. You know, obviously Amaya's a freshman, and freshmen have their woes. You know, but I'm really excited at what she's been able to do thus far. You know, this whole environment for her is new, and I think she's made an adjustment. I think her teammates have done a really good job helping her get through, helping her in practice, keeping her encouraged. You know, she's very hard on herself, um, sometimes harder than I am, and she can get in her head. But her teammates have really done a good job trying to keep her positive. You know, when she's locked in, she's dominant. I mean, from both aspects of the floor, being able to rebound and start the break force, shooting the three, posting up, unbelievable passer, very unselfish. And so I think she's making everybody around her better and not only herself. And then uh, Coach discusses uh, the two other two transfers that are among the new faces. Yeah, you know, we have two transfers in Kimora and um, Micah. 
And obviously they've been at a, at a very high level. You know, Kamora coming from a situation where she didn't get to play that much at Georgia. So this is almost like her freshman year. Um, but she understands the pace. She understands how hard we need to go. So that transition for her has been pretty easy. You know, Micah, on the other hand, she averaged 18 or 19 minutes at Oklahoma State. So she understands and a little bit more comfortable being out there on the floor. You know, she's a point guard for us. And She's doing a good job at leading the team, you know, still staying on her about being a little bit more vocal <clears throat> and getting everybody in their spots. But those two have done a really good job and are fitting in really well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one more in here, Ben. What are these? What do you think? Um, let's look. You know, it's a young team, a team that's got uh, six players on the roster that are new to the program. So, you know, I, I asked Coach kind of about the design on putting the schedule together and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, have a schedule that's going to challenge them, but also allow them maybe to have some games where they can put together some cohesion. Let's see what coach McNeil said about that. Yeah. You know, for us, fortunately, we're in a location where there's a lot of great schools around us. Um, so every year, you know, we want <clears throat> to play some power fives, but we also want to set the schedule up for us to be successful, to build confidence, you know, in this team, to teach them how to win, you know, not only the young kids, but the returnees. And if you look at our schedule, we have our first five games at home. So the point of that is to come off to a good start, you know, build some confidence and, and continue to go from there. You know, we've had a lot of conversations with the players on how we built this schedule this year, and we've tried to build it for us to be successful. And, and once we start conference play to give us some really good confidence. Right now, a 94-3 The Game sports update. Here is Ben Byram ahead of Jim Zoki. Thanks, Patrick. As we gear up for ECU versus Memphis homecoming weekend in Dottie Ficklin Stadium, Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator, expects Holt Aylers to bounce back against Memphis. You know, Holt always responds well to those things. I, and I think the history, if you go back, I can't statistically back this up, but I think I'm pretty well correct. Whenever he's had a game where he feels like that he had a couple mistakes that really cost us, and he does this week, he felt really bad about that, he normally comes back really, really focused and plays with He's Defensive coordinator Blake Harrell talked to the media yesterday. He says the Pirates got to be better defensively on third downs. Yeah, we, we, we got to do a better job. You know, a year ago, I think uh, third and long, we were 24 out of 25 success rate. And uh, last couple weeks, it just seemed to be Achilles heel for us. So we got, you know, we've, we've locked in in practice, kind of put more situations out there like that for us, uh, making sure we got the right calls in and, and make sure we're not throwing a call out there that we've had um, only practice one time. So we got to do a better job of that. And, and then just urgency. Pre-game coverage begins at 4 p.m. Saturday of our Bushlight Pirate Game Day countdown right here on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94-3 the game. And then stay tuned as Patrick Johnson and ECU football legend Terrence Copper brings you live pre-game coverage right outside Town Bank Tower. That all comes your way Saturday at 4 o'clock. Moving on, we have some college football action later on tonight at 7 o'clock. West Virginia taking on Baylor. And the Baylor Bears are favored in that game by three points with the over-under at 55. 
Little American action later on tonight. UCF is 4-1 undefeated in the American so far, taking on 2-3 Temple, who is winless in the American. That all comes your way at 7. The UCF Knights heavily favored by 23.5 points with the over-under at 46. And also at 7.30 on ESPN2 right here in North Carolina, the North Carolina Central Eagles hosting the Morgan State Bears. Moving on later on, uh, uh, the Panthers. Uh, taking a look at their injury report, at least an updated injury report. J.C. Horn did not practice uh, earlier today as he continues to deal for rib injury. He suffered during the team's loss to the 49ers last week. LaVisca Chanel also missed a session as he continues to deal with a hamstring issue. Stanley Thomas Oliver yet to return. Uh, he's still sidelined with a thigh injury. And Christian McCaffrey has returned to practice after being given a rest day. East alum Harold Varner III speaking to the media at the Live Golf Tour. He talked about the PGA Tour and how it was not a family environment compared to the Live Golf. I like playing golf. These guys are a lot of fun. I think it's really cool how we hang out and do things that we, you know, don't do as much on the PGA Tour. I think it's very big. They call it uh, family. And whenever you leave that family, you become hated. And, and a real family, like, no matter what your son does or your daughter, she's their family. So you take care of them, and it's just not that way. Coming up the other side of this quick timeout, here on the Patrick Johnson Show, we'll be joined by Panthers Radio Network's Jim Zoki as he talks all the latest with the turmoil around the Carolina Panthers. That all comes your way right here on the other side of this quick timeout. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of Pirate Football. 94.3 The Game. Pirate Basketball lives right here. Right here. flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing uh, you from L.A. on... There's plenty to talk about when it comes to the Carolina Panthers this week. Jim Zoki, Panthers Radio Network, uh, with us uh, here. Panthers and Rams from Los Angeles uh, this weekend. And uh, we will uh, get into all of that. But uh, right now, we welcome the great Jim Zoki back to the uh, Patrick Johnson Show. Zoke, how goes it? Patrick, I assume B-Baby as well. Got the whole gang together here. We do. Uh, even Cookie's in the studio uh, today. And so cookie. Yeah, Cookie as well. But uh, Cookie probably won't be talking much. He's a he's a Packers fan. He's smarting from his uh, he's smarting from that uh, debacle in London uh, and uh, the fighting Daniel Jones taking uh, his his uh, his his Packers out. Uh, Jim, as we get going here, obviously uh, the story of uh, I think a couple of big stories this week. But uh, obviously Matt Rule's no longer uh, in charge. And, uh, you know, for the fire Matt Rule crowd, this is a, a celebration, but there's still a lot of season left to be played. Yeah, and that's how they're treating it. they got 12 games to go, so uh, although it's an interim situation for Steve Wilkes, they're viewing it as the worst thing we've done uh, this week. They're hoping to uh, get a get a bounce and, uh, and, and win games and, and try to make a push towards something positive. So I think that's the goal is that it's early in the season. Do it now. Maybe try to salvage uh, the season to some degree. And uh, Steve Wilkes comes in, honestly, with a very serious temperament. I didn't want to talk about being a Charlotte native in his press conference. Just wants to talk about 
the Rams and trying to win a football game this week, and he inherits a tough quarterback situation uh, with the injuries that are mounting at that position right now. But uh, as far as Matt Rule goes, I mean, I guess it just was time 11 and 27 over two plus seasons, one and four this year. A sea of red jerseys at home at Bank of America Stadium for the 49ers. Uh, last week, they felt very much like a road game instead of a home game. So a lot of things were kind of mounting at the same time. So let me ask you this. Um, when it comes to, I mean, we've, I mean, I've asked this question before when, when making this point. I mean, I think we'd all agree, who's the best college coach? What's well, Nick Saban. He didn't have great success. Steve Spurrier didn't have great success. I mean, out of the, outside of Pete Carroll, it's hard for me to think of someone that has had great success from the college game to the program, but even Carroll had coached as an NFL head coach uh, prior to USC. So where where does that get lost in translation in your mind? Because you've been around this this thing for a number of years. So in, in your opinion, where does it just not work out for college coaches who are successful? I think they're two very different jobs. I mean, I'm going to be exaggerating, but it's almost like asking the basketball coach to coach the football team because it's college, as you guys well know, uh, it's a lot about dealing with parents, dealing with recruits and transfer portals and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, you're, you're constantly just trying to get players in there, especially in today's thing with guys, if they're good enough, jump into the pros, switching programs, then you're recruiting high school kids, and, and that's such a big thing. Um, and then if you're a major pro, you know, like Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, guys like that, you know, they probably, because of the level of, of program they've built, probably only get challenged, you know, four times a year and, yeah. and you know, get pretty much mark off, you know, th- th- we're going to win these eight games if we just show up. And so that's different. In the pros, like every game is hard. Like if you're playing even the Carolina Panthers, that's a hard game to win. Panthers lost their first two games by a combined five points. So even when you're playing, say, you know, whoever you view at the bottom, Houston, Carolina, teams like that, those are still hard because they're still filled with college all-stars and uh, pros that have been to the Pro Bowl even on the worst teams and coaches that have been around for a long time. So I think they're very two different things. And, of course, you can get into the, the aspect of the game itself. I mean, the college game has become so offensive-oriented, uh, not a lot of defense, uh, high-scoring games. you got to be able to move quickly and, and, and you know, squeeze in as many plays as you can. The pro game is a little bit more deliberate, so clock management and all those kind of things, too. Jim Zoki, Panthers Radio Network. We've got uh, the uh, Cats playing on uh, Talk 103.7 WTIB. 3 o'clock airtime on the network as they go to Los Angeles to take on the Rams uh, coming up on uh, Sunday. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the quarterbacking situation because obviously the injury to Baker Mayfield uh, comes at a time where Sam Darnold's not a go. And so it's uh, P.J. Walker's uh, deal. I mean, look, uh, you got to have a star at that position or at least a really uh, capable player at that position. Mayfield has the moxie seemingly he has uh, had some success early in his career it has not worked out right now in Carolina even though I think the offensive line is better and he's got some good offensive uh, weapons at his disposal but now it's PJ Walker uh, stepping to the forefront and uh, that it's just it's kind of a tough situation with the quarterback deal right now it is you know PJ's played a little bit like last year as actually the last win of last year midway through the season went to Arizona and he was the guy that really did the heavy lifting. Cam came in and uh, did a couple two-yard plays at the end of you know, at the end of drives to score touchdowns. But PJ really had a brilliant uh, game that day. Problem with PJ is he just got uh, rattled and a little bit inconsistent and, and loose with the football. He was throw into double coverage and things like that. So 
what Steve Wilkes was talking about is if he'll just execute the game plan, take the check down if you got to take the check down, but just run what they're telling him and not try to do extra, uh, you know, not try to win the game by himself. Uh, I think PJ could be capable, and hopefully he's matured and, and learned from some of the experiences he's had, how brief as that is in the NFL. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be good to see. Obviously, Baker is going to be a couple of weeks. Sam Darnold probably at this point is probably still multiple weeks. Uh, he might be active next mm-hmm. week, but still with the practice time. And then uh, they got Jacob Eason, who's been on the practice squad, who's been around a little bit in the league. But uh, it's really going to be PJ's deal this weekend coming up with LA. Do they trade certain guys or do they keep certain guys? But I think when you uh, look at the situation right now with the Carolina Panthers, I firmly believe that they're a quarterback or a head coach away from being uh, not maybe not a contender, but at least a playoff team. And maybe they have their head coach right now in Steve Wilkes. Where do you realistically see them doing? Do you see them blowing up the team, getting rid of guys? Or do they stick with what they got and try to find that quarterback in the draft and that head coach in the offseason and make a run? I don't think they'll have a fire sale. And NFL trades are hard anyways to accomplish. So I'm sure they'll get some calls. I think there'll be some interest uh, in in their guys. Like uh, DJ Moore has been talked about, Christian McCaffrey, guys like that. But um, I don't anticipate them looking to to go that direction. I think by and large they want to hang on to what they got and uh, I think you're right. I think they feel like they, they've improved on defense. They've done a, a great job in improving the offensive line and special teams. And you do have one of the top running backs in the league in McCaffrey. I think, you know, DJ Moore can be a top 10 receiver in this league if he's used the right way. So yeah. really, the quarterback would be the thing. But the problem is that's like, you know, something that's really difficult to come up with. So you don't want to tank for it, on the other hand. And uh, we're not really a destination for a big name free agent quarterback to land here potentially. So, it's uh, they got to figure that out, and you know they've kind of gone this, uh, this younger veteran route for the last couple of years of guys they think might be more bargainish, and it's just not worked out for them. Yeah, uh, we got uh, the great Jim Zoki Panthers Radio Network Panthers and uh, Rams who themselves were invaded by the uh, the Cowboys fans. It was like a Cowboys home game, uh, Zok, <laughs> uh on uh, on Sunday. You you probably didn't catch any of that unless you. Watched a replay of it, but uh, I mean, it was it was like a game in Dallas, or you know, it, it was amazing to be quite honest with you um, in Los Angeles. Uh, we'll get into the Rams in a little bit here, but uh, w- let's let's assume that McCaffrey is a a, a a tradable piece. What do you think a Christian McCaffrey right now would yield the Panthers who need draft picks? Uh, totally speculative here, but I mean, what you know his ability, you know what he's got, uh, and, and you know what he what he's capable of. What do you think that could yield Carolina if they did decide to make a move? Totally, if they decided think, to make a move, I think it would yield salary cap relief. I think it'd be something like a third round pick, maybe or something like that. And that's not indicative at all of the kind of player that he is. It's just a, the fact of it of how running backs are viewed, uh, running backs that have been in this league now for a number of years. So he's got some tread on uh, the tire, but he's got. Uh, you know, probably realistically played close to halfway of what will be his NFL running back career. Um, so anyone who's going to inherit, you know, what they got to pay isn't going to also give up a lot in the draft pick realm either. So that's what you got to kind of weigh. I think if you make a move like that, it's more salary cap driven than the assets that you're getting back when you make a deal like that. Uh, Jim, Ben again, something that really interested me when Steve Wilkes came into the helm was the fact that he immediately got rid of Phil Snow. Um, what exactly was the issue there? I know that was purely a Steve Wilkes posi- uh, decision. Uh, why would he make that decision? Was there some previous kind of 
discontent between them or kind of uh, issues between them? Why exactly did he make that move, especially when Phil Snow had a top 10 defense? Well, I mean, what's your view of top 10? I think they're in the 20s of all the stats of yardage and so forth right now if you look at it. But I think um, Phil Snow is, is Matt Rule's best friend in the world of football. I mean, they've been together at Baylor and at Temple, and I think everyone projects Matt Rule will be a college coach probably next year somewhere, and then Phil Snow will be his defensive coordinator. So I think it's probably, you know, Phil's going to move wherever Matt Rule goes, so that's going to happen. And then with Steve Wilkes, he had the one year as head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and Al Holcomb was his defensive coordinator there. And he's on staff here, so he just elevated Al as his defensive coordinator because that's the guy he had picked when he was a head coach with uh, Arizona. So uh, Al Holcomb had a press conference today. I don't, you know, just you're into the season now. You have to be able to redo the defense in terms of schematically and all that, but uh, they'll probably put some of their own style and, uh, you know, taste into what the defense will look like. And Al Holcomb and Steve Wilkes obviously used to work in that capacity. I'll brief if that was. But again, they're both assistant coaches on this team. So, uh, it works out pretty well, actually. And so, you know, Phil's going to leave anyway to go with Matt Rule. Yeah. I think also just having a guy lingering back, that was part of, you know, they're all part of Matt Rule's staff, but Phil Snow goes way back. I mean, it's like family. So that's a whole different uh, story as far as the tightness between him and Matt Rule. Yeah. Hey, Zoke, uh, J.C. Horn uh, didn't practice. Uh, you think he'll he'll be on the trip and, and play? I think that yeah, could come down to being a game-time decision on, on J.C., so we'll see on that one. Um, Xavier Woods has been practicing. That's a good sign for the secondary, obviously, too. So uh, I think you know, some of these, they'll just have to get through the, the next couple of days, and, and we'll find out for sure even now. Yeah, gotcha. Jim Zoki uh, with us uh, here. I know the Rams are going to be without uh, the center, Allen, again. They've had some real problems up front uh, when you look at this Rams team, wh- why is this not the Rams team that won it all last year, in your opinion? Starts right there. Offensive line is horrible. It is horrible. They're giving up the most sacks in the league, 21 so far. And that makes everything, uh, just all, all the work blow up. Uh, so Stafford's getting sacked. He's pressured now. He's thrown more interceptions and touchdowns. And his quarterback rating and percentage are down. Uh, they didn't, you know, you've seen the Odell Beckham Jr. going back and forth. They didn't offer to bring him back as he rehabbed from his injury. So basically it's Cooper Cup, uh, is the guy to his credit. He's had another big season, but they've kind of become one dimensional. They cannot run the ball. They're last in the league in rushing yards, basically last in yards per carry as well. So they've become really one dimensional of, uh, you know, Cooper Cup just winning his one on one battles because Stafford has so little time. He can't get through his progressions to look off of who the second and third guys are and make plays. So the offense yeah. is uh, is really a mess right now for them. Defensively, though, I mean, they're still pretty darn good. Yep. Got that guy, Aaron Darnold. Yeah. Aaron Donald, I should say not Darnold. Yeah. Aaron Donald and Bobby <laughs> Wagner and a lot of great players. Kind of combined everybody on the roster. Aaron Donald and those guys. So, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're good. I think they'll figure it out as the season goes on, yeah. too. I think they'll. You know, that's a team that's going to make some moves. I think the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. So I think, you know, they went all in like OBJ midseason and things like that. I just don't know that you can you know, live at that level. They let Robert Woods go and uh, obviously uh, Odell got hurt. Uh, so I think they kind of, you know, brought the roster back to some degree in line. Uh, but I think they'll probably try to make another run at it. But they'd have to begin by getting healthy and, and figuring out some things with their offensive line because that's really been their biggest issue. Hey, Zoke, thanks a lot. Uh, enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing uh, you from L.A. on Sunday. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. 
Our pleasure, Jim Zoki. There he goes. I like your version of the top 10 defense. Zoki getting all stat nerd on you there, Ben. I mean, it was a top 10 defense until last week when a lot of key pieces on the defense were hurt. I got hurt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Niners torched. I still view it as a top 10 defense when healthy. I guess he doesn't. Well, they weren't healthy. They're scoring defense, too. They score more than the offense. Yeah. Well, that doesn't take a whole lot, man. That's a pretty lousy group. All right, thanks to Jim Zoki for being on with us today. Appreciate Dom. Nice work by him. Cookie was in for a little bit. Philip Pilkington for his efforts. Also been B-Baby Byram, the one and only. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. It is a football Friday. Get you to the game day homecoming. Ain't no coming like a homecoming edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Doug Martin will be on with us tomorrow. And we're also going to have Adam Gold from the Adam Gold Show. I'm doing a hit on Gold Show at 2.15 tomorrow. But then we've got uh, Gold on our show tomorrow. All AG on a Friday. Uh, Back in the morning for Talk of the Town. Join us there on Talk 103.7 and Talk 96.3, 7 to 9. And then Friday. Five to six, Patrick Johnson show ahead of Rose and Newburn coverage. And we'll also have for you Pirate Game Day Countdown beginning at four on Saturday. More deets on that tomorrow. Have a great rest of your evening.